walking around to see a whole Uganda, it's, it's actually called Wargin, and it's a, it's a pretty big ac- epidemic. And so this little village in Uganda was not unlike other villages, and there was a, a gentleman there, and he was an alcoholic, and that's where our story is going to start today. But in terms of the sermon, can anybody tell me what the difference between being alive in Christ is versus life in Christ Go ahead, go ahead, Andy. Go ahead, hit me. Okay, being alive in Christ is born again. And life in Christ is how we walk that out. That was, that was brilliant. I wish I would have had you on Monday when I was prepping. Um, one of the ways that I put it is uh, if you ever go to a funeral or you go to a, a grave site, you'll see two dates, right? That the date that they were born and the date that they died, that signifies them being alive. And then that little dash in between those, that's the life. That's where they lived. So today, we already talked about finding our faith and our life in Christ being alive, born again. Um, let's take this a, a, a step back real quick. The lungs. What do the lungs do? They breathe. They bring in oxygen, and then they expel CO2. Um, What does the heart do? Pumps blood, right? It pumps blood throughout our whole system. So what it basically does is it takes all that oxygen that's already in through the lungs, and it sends it throughout our body. Uh, What does the brain do? Sends signals for the body to keep going. Um... We need these three functions to be alive. You need to be breathing, your heart needs to be beating, and your mind needs to keep going. Now, I've seen enough uh, TV shows, and I've seen enough movies, and I've actually been in the hospital in some cases where a machine is keeping a person alive. But I would submit to you that that's not really living. They're alive and, 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 and maybe we have the hope that one day they'll get off those machines, but that's not truly life. They're being alive, but it's not life. And I, I think that's what we're going to be talking about today is some of us have accepted that free gift of salvation, and we're alive in Christ, but we're not living as such. Now, there was an Eagles fan, and, uh, and he had some really, really bad seats. I mean, he was way up in the nosebleeds. And, and at, at the game, he's watching through the binoculars as, as the game progresses. And in the second quarter, he notices that there's a seat on the 50-yard line that's empty. So he keeps watching, and at halftime, he decides, you know what? I'm going to go down there and just see if I can see if that seat's taken. So he goes down there, and he talks to a gentleman that's sitting in the, the one side of the seat, and he says, hey, is, is this seat taken? And the guy looks up at him, and he's kind of sad, and he says, oh, that, that seat, that, uh, that was my wife's seat. She, she passed away. And the guy said, oh, man, I'm, I'm so sorry to hear that. I'm sorry for your loss. Um, why didn't you just give the, the seat to one of your friends or maybe a relative or, or, or something like that? And the guy looked up and he said, well, I would have, but they're all at her funeral. Now, some people are dedicated Eagles fans, right? Some people are dedicated Eagles fans that they would even skip their wife's funeral I'll explain it to you later, Miss Chase. Some people, 
They're only going to get worse from here, Chase. The, the jokes are only going to get worse. Some people are such dedicated fans to football, and I wonder how many of us are that dedicated to our life in Christ? I mean, myself included, right? When I preach, I'm preaching to myself. You guys just get to listen. Uh, when I thought, started thinking about what life was to the average American, right? I think I thought about, well, a lot of Americans want a good job, a good home, to have two cars, 2.5 kids, right? The American dream, white picket fence and all that. And I started to think about our neighborhood. And I think in our neighborhood, the American life, the American dream is safety. We want to have a job that affords us the ability to have a good home. A home in a, a safe block. Maybe not a safe neighborhood, but a safe block. Maybe uh, away from the violence and the drug abuse. Maybe away from all of that. And we, and we start focusing on those things. We start focusing on what we can do to get a better job, to get a better life, to get a, a, a better thing. And I think we start focusing so much on the we that we lose point of the one who actually provides that stuff for us. We put more trust in ourselves than we do the trust in the one who gives us the ultimate safety. I mean, others are out here living like their life has no consequence at all. Uh, last week, I, I was outside and I was bringing groceries into the house, me and Caleb, and this tow truck, right? If you don't believe me, did anybody ever see the tow trucks in this neighborhood? Wow. It's like watching Mario Kart. This guy, this tow truck, was towing a vehicle past three cars and a bus on Frankfurt Ave, right? Frankfurt Ave is about the size of this lane right here. He was living his life like it didn't even matter to anybody. Ephesians 5, 15 through 17 says this. It says, be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. God is the one that gives us life, and he gives us time, and he deserves more of the time than we tend to give him. 1 John 2.15 says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away. But whoever does the will of God lives forever. Let me say that again. Whoever does the will of God lives forever. Life in Christ means that we have to live in this world, but not be controlled by it. So what do we do? How do we live? Well, let's take a look at our passage today. Ephesians 4. Join me as we get to Ephesians 4. Picking up at verse 17, it says, So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. And the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity and they are full of greed. Look at what it says in verse 20. That, however, is not the way of life you learn. When you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus, you were taught with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, listen closely, each of you must put off the falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we're all members of one body. Verse 26, in your anger do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. 
Verse 27 is so powerful. And do not give the devil a foothold. Let me say that again. And do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Verse 31, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ God forgave you. Heavenly Father, we just thank you. We praise you for your holy word. I love that your word, written so long ago, speaks to us today, that we are able to find meaning, life, purpose in your words, Lord. I ask that you reveal exactly what you would have us take away from this passage this morning. We thank you and we praise you in your son's perfect name. So Paul tells us what we should do to have life in Christ. The first fill-in on your page is that we should put away the former life. It's pretty funny. Uh, we're going to go to Ephesians 4.20. Now, let me say that again for some of you sinners. We're going to Ephesians 4.20. If you don't know why that's humorous to some of us sinners, some of us old life people, 420 has a very specific meaning. I'll let you ask a neighbor or a friend. But this is what it says about putting away the former life, Ephesians 420. That, however, is not the way of life you learned. When you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. Folks, put off the old self, which is being corrupted. One of the favorite things that I get to do here is I get to baptize people. It's so much fun. And it's so much fun for several reasons. One of the reasons that I like it the most is because every time we do a baptism, we do a baptism interview. And it's great because I get to hear the stories of what people used to be like. I get to hear the stories of the former self. I ask questions, uh, something similar to, what did you used to do? that you no longer do because Christ is inside of you. And some of the stories I hear are incredible. It's incredible stories of redemption, of being dead and then being brought to life through Christ. What did you used to do in your former life? We have to take that former life and put it off. When I was growing up, I, I grew up in a, a smaller town and I had uh, friends and they grew up in the same church that I did, and it was conservative, very conservative, very legalistic to a point. Don't do this, don't do that. Be at church every, every Sunday, be at Sunday school every Sunday, be at Sunday night worship service, be at Wednesday night Bible studies. Very legalistic. And as he grew, uh, this friend of mine had faith in Jesus Christ. He, he, he gave his life to Christ. He was alive in Christ, but he wasn't really living in Christ. And, and he would later tell me a story about how um, he would wait on Sundays during the nice weather, summertime, and he would wait till everybody went to church, and then he would pull out his boat and a six-pack, and he would head to the, the lake, the local lake, and he would just go out and he would fish. And, and he would tell me this story, and I saw a, a, a picture this week, and it made me, it reminded me of him. And it said, religion is a guy sitting in church thinking about fishing. Relationship is a guy fishing thinking about God. And now you guys have heard me say before, I don't like religion. I don't like it. I like relationships because it's not about religion. It's about relationship with God through his son. 
It's not about following the rules. It's about the freedom that the Son provides us. It's not about money. It's about mercy. I know exactly what I deserve. The wages of sin is death. That's what I deserve. And yet, I'm giving mercy. It's not about tradition, right? The tradition of showing up to church, wearing your Sunday best, sitting in a pew with no real relationship. It's not about tradition. It's about truth. I think about this, and I think about religion, and, and I was talking to him, and why do I think that was bad that he would skip a Sunday service? There was a couple reasons that, that really got me, and it's not about the tradition, him just filling a pew. It's about the relationship. Now, what's so bad about what he did? He was totally leaving God out of the picture by ignoring worship. Let me, re- let, me, let me say that again. He was totally leaving God out of the picture by ignoring worship. I'm going to step on some toes here for a minute. Show of hands, how many people here know that we sing three songs before I get up to preach? Show of hands, who was here for said three songs? Folks, do not ignore worship. Don't ignore worship. We're to put off the old self. The old self was selfish. My wife, I I don't mind telling you this because she'll admit it. My wife had a, a very good friend of hers that would mentor her. And she was late all the time. For many, many years, she was late. And he would always say, you're selfish. She's like, no, I'm not, I'm not selfish. I'm just busy. No, you're selfish because you think your time is more important than somebody else's time. You think that, folks, if you're running late and you're missing the three songs and you're missing that worship, that's selfishness. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm not sitting here because we don't take attendance. But you're ignoring that worshipfulness. You know, when Jonathan, Joy, and Jerry, and Sticks are up here praising, that's not about them. It's about, it's about God. It's about worshiping God. Uh, a dear friend of mine, he's a, a pastor over at Grace and Peace, a uh, very gifted preacher. His name is uh, Rob, Pastor Rob. And one day this guy was church shopping and came into to Rob's um, church, and he said, wow, pastor, that was... That was a great message. That message was on point, kept me interested. That was awesome. He's like, but I didn't get a whole lot out of the worship. And my friend Rob, without missing a beat, said, that's okay. It wasn't for you. My friend that would go out on this boat was ignoring worship. He was not giving God to thanks for anything and everything good in his life. He was not praying and praising the Lord. He wasn't seeking the Lord's will, but his own will. He was only pleasing himself. When he was coming to church, it was religion. Because that's what you do. You show up and you do the traditions. The tradition of doing things. And he wasn't really buying in or believing the value of what it means to have a life and a relationship in Christ. I want to say something else to you guys. When you miss a Sunday, I'm not up here taking attendance, mad at you, but I am missing you. Each and every one of you guys adds a flavor to this mix. Each and every one of you. The first service, I had Aunt Denise up here, and I said, when Aunt Denise isn't here, we miss the sourness. She, she wasn't really receiving that. When Denise Henderson is not here, I miss the saltiness. When Andy Cutler is not here, I miss his sweetness, the sugar. You see, all of these flavors blend to bring out a beautiful aroma and a beautiful taste. So it's not that we're upset at you when you miss church. We just miss you. Because you guys add something to this flavorful mix. So, I want to encourage you guys to keep doing that. Put off the old self that would stay up till all hours of the night on Saturday night. 
partying, drinking, whatever, rolling into church because it was tradition. No, really buy into it. Have a relationship. Live that in Christ. So back to this little village halfway across the world, we find uh, a missionary couple. Um, some of you guys might say that that looks a little bit like Jonathan. Um, sorry, Jonathan, if that offends you, but uh, that's Jonathan's dad. Jonathan grew up over there, and we, we end up back in this little village, and uh, Jonathan's parents are missionaries over in Uganda, and they have this idea that w- they wanted to raise up indigenous leadership in Uganda to plant churches and to fulfill the meaning of bringing God's word to all nations. And they wanted to train up men and women to do that. And they started by hand selecting all of these great candidates. Oh, this person would be good. That person would be good. Let's pour into that person. And God in his infinite wisdom was like, no, not that one. No, not that one. No, not that one. And some of these guys were con men. Some of these guys took advantage of Jonathan's parents. But in this little village, I already told you about the gin that's being made. There was an alcoholic. And this alcoholic, this drunk, would would come to these Bible studies all the time. He would hang out in the back. And and he was just always around. And, and, And they're trying to figure out what is going on with this guy. Why is he always around. But he he kept coming back to these Bible studies. Now, all of us, we're going to talk about a little bit about Uganda a little bit later, but all of us have a story from our past. A story of who we were before we became alive in Christ. Before Christ rescued us. And it could be better, or it could be worse, then the story I told you about that or the story I'm telling you about the guy fishing, it could be worse, it could be better, but it doesn't matter. Maybe in your life you were prone to drink alcohol and self-medicate. Maybe you liked drugs to self-medicate, to get high. Maybe your thing was women or men being in these promiscuous relationships. Maybe it was gambling. I don't know. But each of us has a past that we've been delivered from. It doesn't matter what you were doing. You were ignoring God. You were sinful. It doesn't matter how much of a saint that you think you were, right? We often say, well, at least I wasn't so-and-so, or at least I didn't do this, or at least I... It doesn't matter how good you think you were. The wages of sin is death, and it says everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So it doesn't matter how good you think you were, you were a sinner. One day there's these two old men and they're sitting on a park bench and the one old man looks depressed and sad. So his friend, being a good friend, comes up and he says, hey man, what's, uh, what's wrong? You, you look depressed. What are you thinking about? And the other gentleman says, my future. And with a very quick answer, the other guy said, what makes your future look so hopeless? And the old man said, my past. Some people think that their future is not very good because they keep looking back at their sins. The enemy would like nothing more than to keep you in that place to keep you in that space, to remind you of all your past failures. He would love to keep you there because if you're there, you're not building the kingdom of God. If you're there, you're not truly living in Christ. You're alive, but you're not living in Christ or living for Christ. He wants to keep you right there. We can't let him because when God comes into our lives and he forgives us our sins, it's done. It's over. Don't let the enemy keep you there. You can't keep living in it. You can't keep living it over again and again like it's Groundhog Day, right? Everybody ever watch Bill Murray and he keeps repeating the same day over and over again? We can't live like that. You see, it says right here in Ephesians 4.22, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. 
Is there a part of your former life that still hangs on? Right? You sit there and you wash your clothes and you hang them up to dry, but you're still hanging on to the past. There's still something in your life that is keeping you in that area, that is tempting you in that area, that keeps you there in the old self. So how, how do we put on the, how do we put off the old self and put on the new self? It's only in Christ that we can do this. If you were here at the last sermon series, we talked about the power in Christ. It's his power that we get over the past. Romans 8, 12 and 4, through 14 says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it's not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live forever. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. There's the answer to how you overcome your past. We allow the Spirit of God to help us put to death the misdeeds of this body. And how can God's Spirit help us overcome sin, any sin, past or present? By immersing ourselves in His Word. That Bible is full of truth. is full of things that help us get over that past sin. Get over that present sin. There's even hope for the future. The other way, we get in prayer. We take it directly to the one who made us, who designed us, who cares about us. The other thing, you get in service. You get in his will. My grandmother, she used to have this saying. She would say, idle hands are the... Did you know my grandma? How did you know that? How'd you... Oh, your grandma said that too? I think my grandma might have stole that from somebody. Idle hands are the devil's workshop. I've discovered that the busier I am, especially with the Lord's work, the less I am tended to do the devil's. <laughs> I read God's words. I pray. I serve. God can do a better job taking away my sins than we can. Folks, get in the word, pray, and serve. There are tons of opportunities to serve at Cornerstone. We run a kids club every Tuesday night. We're always looking for help there. We run Sunday schools on Sunday mornings. We run various Bible studies. If you're not equipped in that way, we have the keepers of the house that get together every Wednesday and serve the Lord by cleaning this place. Some people come in on Fridays to do it. We've had people help us uh, rake the, the yard. We've had people help us set up and decorate. Get involved. Read your word, pray, and serve. The busier we are doing that, the easier it is to stay on track, to put off the old self. But the second thing we need to do is we need to put on the new the new self, Ephesians 4.23, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Put on the new self. Put on the newer, better self. What is that? The better self is in Christ. We're better in Christ than we are without him. Maybe last night you heard somebody say to me, because I was looking very good, maybe you heard somebody say to you, hey, you really clean up nice. You really clean up good. And it's true. I look better when I've cleaned up. So back in Africa, this man, oh, look, there's pictures. I'm sorry. There's pictures of me after a marathon. Uh, the hair's messy. I'm wet. I think I was throwing up after, just before this picture. Um, so, and then here's cleaned up, Mike. And, and here's even, so proof that I do shine up nice. Okay? But now let's get back to Africa where uh, this drunk man keeps coming out to this Bible slutty. And, and slowly, over time, he came to accept Christ in his life. 
He became alive in Christ. And that's when he started to actually live in Christ. He put the bottle down. He stopped drinking. He put on the new life of Christ. And in a move that shocked everyone, the man was baptized. And he began to grow and learn what it means to put on new clothing in Christ. Eventually, he became a local pastor. And before long, he became a bishop. Does anybody know what a, what a bishop means? I'll tell you what it means in the African evangelical sense. In the African evangelical sense, a bishop is a pastor, a local pastor, a local minister that oversees church plants. So this former alcoholic drunk man who was baptized, became a follower of Christ, put his life in Christ, became a leader within the church, and he would drive around his motorcycle, and he would go to all these remote villages and check on all the churches. This guy's name was Mahomza. This former drunk put off the old self, and he put on the new clothes, and God loved what he saw. And he put him in charge of several ministries throughout Uganda. But there's going to be more on Mahumza a little bit later. You see, Mahumza cleaned up nicely. Not just the outside, but it was his heart that cleaned up. The heart shines up and it cleans up and it's especially nice to God. It doesn't matter how nice the outside is if the inside, the heart is ugly. God says, I'm going to give you a new heart and a new spirit I'll put within you. Right? But look what he does. He says, I will remove the heart of stone, putting off the old, and, and, and I will give you a heart of flesh, putting on the new. We all look better when we've been cleansed from sin. And when we put our best character, our best foot forward, and our best self is our self in Christ. But how do we get there? How do we get to that new self? I, I, I said earlier that occasionally somebody will say to me, well, you look nice, or you dressed up nice, or they'll say, that's a pretty shirt. And my, my response is always the same. That's because my wife dressed me. You see, my wife has great taste in clothes. She has great taste in matching colors. She has poor taste in men. Some of you will get that later. But my wife dresses me. In fact, I call my wife my DSD. If you come up to me and you ask me, hey, P. Mike, can you help me with this? Can you do this? Can you do this? I'll say, let me check with my DSD. And what that stands for is my designated social director. My wife tells me exactly what to wear and what time to be there. She handles all that stuff. Folks, each and every one of us has a DSD in our own life called Christ. He tells us where to be, how to act, and how to dress. Clothe ourselves in him. It's a wonderful thing. God has good taste too. And he knows how best to make us look good. He knows what it takes for us to put on the new clothes and be created in Christ. I, I think that there's two really good ways to put on the new life created in Christ. One way I like is by imitating others. Paul writes this. He says in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, he says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Back when I was in seminary, I had some amazing professors. I learned so much from them, watching them interact with us. Our first day of seminary, they said, if you are going into the ministry, and if you are in seminary, one of the requirements that our seminary has is that you have to find a mentor. I was blessed in that I already had a mentor. I already had a guy that was great in my life. His name was Gary. And they said, you want to find a mentor. Later on, God blessed me with another one, Brian. This is Brian. Brian's 73 years old. I met him at a hockey tournament. I talked to him often. 
He is a great mentor to me. I'm trying to imitate him as he imitates Christ. The beautiful thing about mentors is that you can be completely transparent with them. You can be completely honest with them. And what they do is they walk beside you. They hold you accountable and they bring you into a better walk with Christ. When I was 16 years old, I met a gentleman named Dave. Here's a picture of me and Dave. I'm 16 years old, and he was an amazing man of God. I, I met him and instantly respected him as a follower of Christ. Now, at 16 years old, I decided to go and do my own thing, still hanging out in the old self, right? And I lost touch with Dave. And, and through the miracle of the interwebs, we got in touch 26 years later. And, and I caught up with him, and I saw all this amazing stuff that he was doing for Christ, all this amazing stuff that his life journey had taken him. At, at this time, when I met him, he was working as a welder, and, and he was on fire for God as a welder. And then when I connected with him 26 years later, uh, I Googled him just to see what he's been up to. He left that job, that security, trusted in the Lord fully, became the director of Youth for Christ Missions in, in the Pocono Slate Belt area, went on to start like four different minis- missions organizations, has uh, brought his skill in welding and stuff to other countries, has started up all these. He is a great man of God. And so a couple, uh, probably about a month ago, he decided to come down and, and hear what God is doing through me. And in that meeting, I realized, you know what? There's always room for one more mentor. And I asked him to be my mentor to hold me accountable. Guys, if you don't have a mentor, get one. If you don't have a person that you can be open, transparent, and honest with, Find somebody that will do that for you. Find somebody that will guide you into a better relationship with Jesus just by walking beside you. That's one of the ways that I was able to put on the new self is help from these men. The other way, and this is the absolute best way, follow Jesus. 1 Peter 2.21 This, to this you were called... Because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. What a great example to follow, especially for me. Especially for me, I want to fight back. When somebody says nasty things to me, when somebody's lying to me, I want to fight back instead of trusting the one who judges justly. I want to get my own justice. What a perfect example that even while they were insulting and killing Jesus, while he was dying for our sins, he trusted God enough to handle things for him. Hebrews 12, 1 says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. Let me rephrase that. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the example of perfect faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne. What's going to happen if we fix our eyes on Jesus? What happens if we start focusing on scriptures? What happens if we start praying? What happens if we start serving? We're going to start becoming more like Christ. You know, Pastor Bill in the last couple months has been talking about these hymns. And so, not to be outdone by Pastor Bill, or because I'm following his example, I found a hymn. William Longstaff wrote this hymn, and I think it sums things up perfectly. It says, take time to be holy, speak oft with thy Lord, 
Abide in him always and feed on his word. Make friends of God's children. Help those who are weak, forgetting in nothing his blessing to seek. Take time to be holy. The world rushes on. Spend time in secret with Jesus alone. By looking to Jesus like him thou shalt beat, thy friends in thy conduct his likeness shall see. We start spending time with him, people are going to start seeing Jesus in us. The third way is we put down the devil. Verse 26 through 28, it says, In your anger do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Verse 27, here it is, folks. Do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Don't give the devil a foothold. There's an example of a man that was driving down the street and he reached a yellow light. And he probably could have made it, probably could have made it through the intersection that he stepped on the gas. But he decided to be safe and he stopped. And a car that was right behind him was, was tailgating him very closely. And the lady spiked the brakes. And as she spiked the brakes, her, uh, her makeup went flying, her cell phone went flying, her coffee spilled. And she started flipping this guy off. And she started cussing him up a storm. I mean, she was livid. And all of a sudden, on the side of the window, Mr. Officer rolled in. Now, this picture is interesting because this is my friend Kevin. <laughs> yes, this is a personal picture of Kevin. Kevin was here last week. Don't be like Kevin, but Kevin took a selfie. So here's the officer. He rolls down the window, and, and he takes this woman, and he locks her up. He locks her up for a couple hours. He arrests her for a couple hours. And then at the end of this, he comes back to her, and he says, Ma'am, I am, I am so sorry. I am so sorry that I pulled you over and arrested you. But you see, when I pulled up behind your car and you were blowing your horn and flipping that guy off and cussing him out, I couldn't help but I noticed that you had a what would Jesus do bumper sticker. And I saw the license plate that said choose life. And I saw the other bumper sticker that said follow me to Sunday school. And then, of course, there was the chrome-plated fish emblem on the trunk. So naturally, I just assumed you stole that car. Did that devil, did that lady allow the devil a foothold in her life? Man, you want to talk about footholds, yeah, just drive with me in the city. Like I said, I preach to myself. We cannot allow the devil to get a foothold. It says right here, there's a whole laundry list of things we do that allow the devil to get a foothold. Stealing. You can't steal anymore. Unwholesome talk. Don't get rid of that. Don't grieve the spirit. Don't have bitterness, rage, or anger. Don't brawl or slander. Be compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. Man, that's a long list of how to live. We put the, down the devil in our lives by putting away sin from our lives. Stop stealing. Don't talk rude. Get rid of the bad stuff. Rage, anger, bitterness. Whether we realize it or not, we give the devil a foothold in our lives when we do these things. But to put down the devil is to rid ourselves of as much bad stuff as possible. So how do we put the devil down? By looking to the Lord. By clinging to the Lord in every possible way. James 4, 7 says, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist, resist the devil and he will flee. Guys, resist the devil and he will flee. But then it says, come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded folks. The only way to put the devil down in life is by submitting to the Lord. Submitting to his will. When we submit, he's pleased with that. 
Tone said it in the first service. He said, if there's darkness and light, they can't coexist. There's a great power in submission. But I love tangible things, right? When I preach, I like to give you practical applications. I like to take the truth and make it practical. I like to take the truth and make it tangible. One of the tangible ways that we can put the devil down is by lifting up Christ, lifting up God and his blessings. Tone and Jonathan, would you come up and, and help me explain how we can do this in a tangible way? Remember our friend Mahumza? Tell us about Mahumza. How, how long, when, when did you first meet Mahumza? How old were you? Oh man, so... I've been, my parents uh, moved to Uganda when I was eight years old, and Muhumaza basically started coming out to the very first church that they, that they opened up in Mbarara. And uh, yeah, you know, it's interesting because what Pastor Mike was saying, like, my dad looked at, you know, he started a Bible institute to train people to start churches. That's what he wanted to do. He wanted to plant churches. He didn't want to be a pastor. He wanted to be a church planter. Um, so he, uh, he had handpicked people, and, and he didn't see Muhumaza coming, basically. He was not the guy you would have picked on the team back then. But God saw him differently. God saw him like, like he saw David, you know. Um, people didn't look at him and, and see much potential, but God saw him and saw his heart and, and grew him into such a man of faith. I, I can't even tell you. There's no way I could describe what it's like to be in the presence of Pastor Muhammad. Um, just the, the faith he has, he's such a prayer warrior. You know, it's interesting. One of the things in, in the emails we've been having recently that struck both me and Tone was a, a thing that he mentioned where, uh, and he wasn't bragging, he was just telling us how he goes on to, up to the hills to pray, okay? And, and, and there in southern, southeastern Uganda, these hills, they're, they're huge. I mean, it's more like a mountain. It's like a, a round mountain, you know? Um, but he climbed up to the top of this hill to pray to God. And um, it's interesting because the reason he was telling us this is he's like, you know, some of the youth have started coming with me to pray to God on the top of these hills. What a great example, right? Like, what a great example. Follow Mahomza to the top of the mountain as he follows Jesus. Amen. Yeah, so, you know, it's just amazing to see what God has taken him to. But in order for him to do what he does, uh, he lives in southwestern Uganda, and uh, it is kind of known for their cattle. They have some of the best milk cows um, ever. Uh, and these things are, they're called Ancoli cows, and they're really, they're really interesting. They got like huge horns that are like the size of a person hanging off their heads. And they, and they produce this, this, you know, milk that is very valuable. So he has gone and, and through donations, but also through his hard work, he had gotten together a herd of cows, 14 cows, uh, which is not an easy thing to do. Uh, cows are, are expensive, and, and, you know, it's a difficult thing to get that together. But God blessed him with these 14 cows. And he was using the milk from these 14 cows to provide for himself, for his family, to send them to school, but also to send people out from his church that he started, that God put on his heart to go back to his village in Buteranero, which is in the middle of nowhere, has no church, to start a church there, you know? And also that church had then gone out and started other churches. And he sends his people, his godly people from his church to those other churches or travel himself. But the way he affords that, the way he can do that is through this income that comes from these cows. Now, last year, or it was the year before, uh, early, I think it was early last year, he lost most of his herd. Um, God allowed uh, a disease to wipe out his herd. It went from 14 to 3 cows. Now, God allowed that. He didn't make it happen, but he allowed it. And it's interesting, we, we, we talk about this, maybe in your own life, God is allowing something to happen so that a blessing can come out of it. Uh, what, what the enemy intended for evil, God intended for good. So what, what happened then? Well, actually, I'm going to let Tone uh, finish this story because it was really cool. Uh, like we just said, God allowed this to happen. Um, and, I, and I believe, in, and I think Tone believes, we all believe that this is, this is an it became an opportunity. You know yes. I mean? um, because, yes, God is faithful. God blessed him, and he was using that blessing faithfully to pour out and bless others. And I don't believe that anything like that is taken away without a reason. Uh, so I'm going to hand it off to Tom. We're in a family. <clears throat> what was I saying again? Uh, no, MIA, Mission in Action, is something SNL does. Um, mission in Action. Ministry in Action. Ministry in Action. Yep. Um, so a couple years ago, I want to say like maybe three, four years ago, 
P, Mike, and Jess was leading us as our mentors and encouraging us and building us up to bless others in the community that need the blessing. So one of the things we did, we went around the city and our group went out and seen where we can bless where we can. Um, we was going around different parts in the city, giving Christmas trees, gifts, praying for them, um, just like bringing them the joy of Christ and loving on them. And it was, it was a great exercise moment for all of us. Um, it was a blessing to us to be able to have God use us in that sense. Um, last year, we was planning up for another one, and Jonathan had this on his heart, and it came to him about Mahunza and his cows having this disease called Black Quarter. Um, he knew nothing about it. He had all these cows, and... Uh, and he lost all of them, right? He lost all he of them. He lost all 14 of his cattle to this disease. Yes. Um, so with that so he lost his income. He lost his ability to continue doing ministry. Many of us would have been upset. Many of us would have been depressed or sad. But Mahumza took it to the Lord. I like how Jonathan said it, where it was like God allowed it to happen. Yes. Uh, and with us... You know, P. Mike and Jess trying to build us up to be mature Christians, blessing each other. Um, it just kept reminding me of Job and how Job lost everything. And, and yeah, the devil was attacking, but God allowed it because there was something great happening in the midst of that. And at the end of that story, Job's friends and family came through and shared what they had. This, this man ended up being rich again. Like, he had to double everything again. Um... It just, it just encourages me that God would use us as SNL and how we did that last year. Like, it was, it was so cool. Like, we blessed him with the cows. We actually got to connect with him. So, so last year, let me take a step back. Last year, there was about 15 to 20 SNLers, ages 19 to 30. And uh, we decided that we were going to raise uh, $500 and buy Pastor Mahomes a, a cow. And God had other plans. Yep. Um, so out of these 20 young adults, uh, we raised enough money for two. We raised enough money for two, which for, was a blessing. Which is, which is, yeah, no, that's good. Praise God, it's not there's us. There's more. There's more. But wait, there's more. So uh, we, we sent the money over to Jonathan's parents. Jonathan's parents arranged for the, the cows to be purchased. Um, they bought the two cows. They got to Mahomes' property, and God wasn't done yet. Uh, a little while later, a calf was born. Instant, three cows instantly pregnant. out of, we were hoping for yep. one. We was aiming for one, and we were, God tripled it. Yes. And, and what was your experience, both of your experience through this? We were trying to bless them. What happened to us, though? Oh, yeah, no. I mean, it was a huge blessing for us, man. Like... It is any opportunity you have to pour out to a member of our family, which is what Mahumaza is. Like, we are a body in Christ, right? We are a church. And the church isn't just this building or even this local congregation. The church is global. It's all around the world. And Pastor Mahumaza is related to us. He is part of the yes. same body. We will and, be seeing him yeah, absolutely. at some point. I mean, and, you know, the thing is, is that the word says that if part of the body suffers, we all suffer, Right. But if part of the body rejoices, we all rejoice. So it was, it was great because we had the opportunity to share in his suffering, to feel for him, um, to be able to pour out what little we had. God multiplied it, right? Um, one, and one, that, of the, one of the cool things, too, is we said to everybody in SNL, this has to be us as a group. So if you can only give one dollar, give that dollar. Because this has to be all of us. It's all in or nothing. So if you can just give a dollar, give a dollar. Right. And, and you know, God took that. He took that, those dollars, right? And he used it to bless Mahumza. But in doing that, it was a huge blessing for us. While, while everybody was having church here, um, the one day we kind of... <laughs> We snuck, snuck out. out. Yeah. The, you would have noticed if you were if you were keeping if you were keeping eyes on it. All the all the young adults got up and snuck out because we actually arranged to to Skype with Pastor Mumaza uh, and his son Kakuru, and it was great. Like it was amazing to be able to be face to face with a member with a brother right across the world, seven thousand miles away. Um, that you know he like we had been able to bless, 
And that, that was such a blessing for us. We left that like floating, you know, our feet weren't touching the ground after that. And it was amazing. So, we, so the idea is we, we felt stingy. Once we started realizing that we were getting blessed, Tone goes, yo, dude, we didn't share this with the rest of the family. So this year, Tone and Jonathan got together and they came to me and they said, P. Mike, we need to share this blessing with all of you guys. So that's what we're doing. We are going to start raising money from now until when? Christmas. Christmas. Yep. So you got a couple weeks here to do it. Buy in. Even if it's only a dollar, to be part of what God is going to do. And then my thought is, uh, maybe one of these times, the next time that I'm preaching, we are going to Skype with Pastor Mahumza and hear directly how God is blessing his ministry. So by putting off the old drunken self, putting on the new self, going to minister to always, and then the tangible act of putting the devil down to lift God up. This is not about what Tone and Jonathan are doing. This is not about what Mike is doing. This is not about what Cornerstone is doing. This is about what God is doing through all Amen. of us. Yep. So Tone, how can they help? With whatever you guys have. If you guys can donate money, me and Madi are collecting the money. There are um, treasures on this mission. But also, like, you guys, if you, you can't get to me, get to Jonathan or Pastor Mike or even Joy. Um, you can just come see us. Come talk to us about it. Um, like Mike was saying, I wanted to say, like, everything he was preaching up to, like, if, if the light is on, there is no space for darkness. No. No darkness. Do good, right? Doing good. And it, not for nothing, like me and Marty was talking on a personal tip, and we was like, how great of a thing it would be to give this broken community an opportunity to feel valued. Like, there's so many people that feel like, oh, I'm nothing, I'm nothing. But yeah, if you put in that dollar and see how much of an impact, Huge you see, impact. God, you loved me. Goodness, you put me in the midst of that. And that just, again, I, I, just, I just think about Mahunza and how he started, you know, being involved and blessing. So I just, my dream started was from what we did and then, I just envision him talking to all of us and saying thank you. And that's, that's what I pray for. So, yeah, do good, guys. Just come talk to any of us. Thank you, guys. And, again, this is nothing that SNL is doing. This is nothing that we are doing. This is nothing that Cornerstone is doing. This is what God is doing through us and even in spite of us in some cases. So as I'm going to leave you with this final thing, there was the, the famous preacher D.L. Moody was in uh, a Chicago hotel, and he was talking to a man, and, and the conversation led one way, and uh, D.L. Moody said, um, sir, are, are you a Christian? And the guy got all offended. He got all upset, and he puffed up his chest, and he untucked his shirt a little bit, and went like this, and he said, well, what do you think? And D.L. Moody said, well, not a red hot one. I want to challenge you guys to be red hot Christians living a life for Christ. Several years ago, well, before we say that, you can be a red-hot Christian by putting away the former life, by putting on that new life following Christ, by putting the devil down. Uh, a few years ago, we went on a church vacation, and the theme verse was Galatians 2.20. And so I want to ask everybody to stand up with me, and uh, as the worship team comes forward, I want us to, to repeat this, and I want this to be our goal, all right? So join me as we, we read this out loud. Ready? I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Galatians 2. 20. Join me in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before your throne this morning confessing that we are weak individuals that have no ability in our own strength to shed off the old self. We confess that the old things of this world still appeal to us and tempt us because the flesh is weak. Father, we are asking for an outpouring of your spirit today as we continue to put on the new self that we've found in your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ.
Father, we ask that you give us a reminder every single day to put on Jesus and take off the old self. Father, we also ask for your strength as we try daily to put the devil down and lift your son's holy name up. Father, we ask today that you help us to not just be alive in Christ, but that you help us to live for Christ. That we cannot just have the victory over death that comes from being alive in Christ, but we seek the power that comes from Christ for a life that can be lived to the fullest. Father, we know that we can do none of this without the filling of the Holy Spirit, which has been sent from your Son and our Lord Jesus. It's in his powerful, amazing, righteous, and saving name of Jesus Christ that we pray for these things. And if you agree with me, say amen.